0: Um, I'm Ashley Griffin. I'm actually the youth director here, and I'm glad to be with you today. Uh, We are continuing our Unboxed uh, Finding the Joy series that we started last week, and today we're specifically going to be talking about finding joy in the waiting and finding joy in unexpected times. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about how much time we spend waiting as people. I mean, you probably, in the moment, you probably realize it, but just when you add it all up, how much time we actually spend waiting? And people actually figure these things out for us. They actually have people that do the research and add it all up. And believe it or not, if you live a normal uh, length life, you will spend six to nine months of your life waiting, six to nine months waiting. That might be um, waiting on... Uh, hold for customer service, or waiting at a doctor's office, or waiting at the security line at the airport, or traffic. Traffic is a huge place that we wait. We wait. I'm I'm not a very patient person. I'll admit that up front. And traffic is not a good place for me to be waiting. And I found this out. We wait 30 to 50 hours a year in traffic, whether at a red light or a stop sign or just in bumper-to-bumper traffic. But six to nine months of our lives we spend waiting. So that's a crazy, crazy thought for me to think about. Um, and today, we're going to be talking about some people that, that understood what it was like to wait and wait and wait. Um, and also, we're going to be talking about the Christmas story a little bit. And these people that we're talking about today, they don't really tie into the Christmas story like you would normally think. We're talking about a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And when we think of, like, people associated with the Christmas story, if we were to play Family Feud, anybody ever watch Family Feud? Anybody? I love Family Feud. I don't know why. It's been still on, but whatever. But Family Feud, you know, they, they poll 100 people, and they put the top answers on the board, and it's like, we, you know, we polled 100 people. Who are the most popular people when you think about the Christmas story? You know, number one would be Jesus, right? Of course, that would be—and then you'd probably have Mary and Joseph up there. You'd have the wise men. You'd have the shepherds. But you probably wouldn't have Zechariah and Elizabeth because their story isn't exactly tied with the birth of Christ. Even though Elizabeth was pregnant at the same time that Mary was pregnant— Their story, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story of their child was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, as we know, went and prepared the way for Jesus. And so that's kind of where their story ties into the Christmas story. But they knew all about waiting. And we're going to look more into that in just a second. Um, So we're going to look at their story. It's found in Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bible or, or want to turn there, look it up on your phone. It'll be on the screens as well. But before we do that, just some quick backstory. Um, last week, if you were here, Fran started the, the series, and she talked about a lot of the prophecies and how the, the Jesus was foretold coming. But in the moment that we're starting the story, God had been silent for about 400 years. So that's a long time. You think of our, our nation as 223 years old, and God was silent speaking to the Israelites for 400 years. That's about 15 generations of people, of the Israelites, had not heard from God right? So that's a long time. So you could understand, it, it is understandable, some people had probably started to, to give up on God. They got tired of waiting and just kind of moved on and thought God had left them. And, and that's, that's a kind of understandable, sad thing, but understandable thing, because 400 years is an absolutely long time. I mean, again, we're 223 year old, years old as a nation, so we don't even have 400 years of history, really. And they're waiting 400 years to hear from God. And so that's where we are. Also, we need to know that Israel is under Roman rule at this time. And and so that's where we're going to kind of pick up in the story. I'm just going to read through our scripture today and then pick out some stuff as we go through. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah, and he was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So let's stop there for just a minute and talk about this. Herod, that is, in the very first thing we read, was Herod was king of Judea. This is Herod the Great, and he was anything but great. He was a violently evil man. right? That He was known for his violence. A lot of secular history records a lot more stuff than the Bible does about his evil acts. But if he was just, he led this life of paranoia, and he was just always, just, if people were getting a little close to him, he would, he would kind of think something about him and he have them killed. And the greatest act that we know of his violence was when the, the wise men came to him looking for the new king, and, and he's like, I don't know where they are, but when, when you, where he is, but when you find him, come back to me and let me know so I can go worship him. And they didn't come back. And then he had, it was two years later, and he had all the two-year-old boys, two years old and younger, killed to try to wipe out Jesus, this new king. So imagine what kind of evil that would take to have boys or any child, two years old and younger, all of them killed just so you can not have to worry about your kingdom. That's the kind of man this was. So this is it's kind of a time stamp in history. It's telling us when Herod was king of Judea. That's Luke giving us a time stamp of when this happened. But he's also saying this is a very, very, very dark time for the Israelites and in their history. We also learn, though, that there's a couple people faithful during this time. Even though there was a lot of oppression, there were people like Zechariah and Elizabeth that were faithful. And they both came from priestly lines. As a matter of fact, Zechariah was a priest at the time. But even though they were faithful, there's a big but in there, and it's that they had no children. And the reason that's important is because back then, that was looked to be as a curse from God. If you didn't have children back then, people believed that you had done something wrong or your family had done something wrong and God was cursing you. So despite that, despite carrying around that burden and, th- and that thought that they were being cursed by God, they still remained faithful to God. And so that was an amazing thing. So just kind of get in the picture, resetting the picture a little bit. We have Israel that has been waiting and waiting and waiting and praying, and praying and praying and praying for 400 years for a Savior. And they're probably getting a little tired, right? And then you have on a personal level, you have Zechariah and Elizabeth who have been waiting and waiting and waiting and praying and praying and praying for a child. And they probably have given up on that at this point because it says they were very old. And when it says very old, it's in the context of childbirth. They were, they were believed to be in their 60s or 70s. So they weren't ancient or anything, but they were just old and old when it comes to thinking about having, childbirth, having a child. So let's continue in verse 8. It says, One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. All right, so this is important for us to understand, that this was a huge honor for Zechariah to be able to enter into the sanctuary and burn the incense. It, there were so many priests at the time that they had to cast lots to see who would be able to go in. So this was probably a once-in-a-lifetime or, or never-in-a-lifetime opportunity that Zechariah was about to have. This was probably the greatest moment in his life. He was going to enter the temple and burn incense and, have, and pray before the the Lord. And so when he walks in, what happens is the people would stay outside and pray, kind of in, in accordance with what he's praying, and they'd all be on the same page. Now, he was probably so excited about this moment. He'd probably rehearsed his prayer over and over and over, and he knew exactly what he wanted to say. He knew exactly how long he was supposed to pray, and he was ready. He'd probably ask his other priest buddies, what's this going to be like? How's it going to be when I get in there? And he was probably just so excited and just couldn't wait to get in there. So he gets in, and he's ready to pray, and this is what happens. It says, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer. Now, for a priest that has been faithful all his life, he's probably going, okay, well, I've prayed a lot of stuff. Oh, you're talking about the one I just prayed. When one I was just saying, okay, cool, that's, that's good, right? And so he's probably on that page, but the angel didn't answer exactly like he thought he would answer. So we continue. It said, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare for the people the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. What an incredible answer! When he said, "I've the Lord your God has given you an answer. He's answered your prayer." That's what the answer was. That's an amazing answer. He's, not only is he saying, "All right, we're gonna the, the Messiah is coming." He said, your son is going to be the one to tell everybody about it. And it's going to be an immediate thing. This isn't like, it's been 400 years, and and I'm going to use your son to break that silence, to tell everybody that the the Messiah is on the way. What an honor. But more importantly than that for for Zechariah, he's given him a son. son. The thing he's been praying for forever is about to happen. And so Zachariah is scared as, as anybody would be when, when an angel appears. That's what the Bible always tells us. The first thing an angel says when they appear is do not fear, right? Because we don't know what that would look like, but I think we'd all be scared when, a, when an angel appears because they probably speak really authoritative and bright and just powerful, seeming just being in the presence. But all that fear at this point seems to have gone away when he said God has answered your prayer because this is my opinion, what he heard I have that long thing I just read. What Zechariah heard was, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son. And I think at that moment, Zechariah just turned off. That's all he heard. Because this was Zechariah's response. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Which, man, that's a good way to say your wife is older, if you want to say it in a polite way. You don't say, I'm an old man and she's an old woman. You just say, she is well along in years, like he did. But this is the thing. He just says this, how can I be sure this will happen? He is standing in the presence of an angel, and the angel just tells him this is what's going to happen, and he doubts it, immediately doubts. He didn't hear all the other stuff. He just heard, you're going to have a son. He goes, oh, I'm old. How on earth is that going to be happen? How, how on earth is that going to happen? And so let me tell you this. This is not how you answer an angel. When an angel tells you something, your, your response shouldn't be, no, I think you got that wrong, man. I think you heard something wrong from the big guy. That's not what you're supposed to say because here's what the angel said. And this is so powerful to me, I don't know. The angel said, I am Gabriel, exclamation point. Letting him know who I am. I stand in the very presence of God. I stand in the very presence of God. Not I fall to my knees. I mean, he he worships God, he's an angel, but he stands in the presence of God. He is a powerful angel and he has the voice of, of God. He said, it was he who sent me, to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. My words will be fulfilled at the proper time. That's a key thing for us. Because we want God to answer our stuff when we want him to answer it. And God's like, I'm going to answer it when I want to answer it. This is kind of a weird thing. because Gabriel says, listen, you're not going to be able to talk. This is, and it's not really a punishment, even though it might be. This might be an answer prayer for Elizabeth. Elizabeth's pre- you know, pregnant now. It's like, Oh, I get to be pregnant, and I don't have to hear from my husband for nine months. This is awesome. And the reason I say that, and this is confession time, when my wife, who fortunately is not here to hear the story uh, today, because um, she would give me the same evil look, uh, when, when she was about to give birth to our daughter, Ansley, we were in the hospital, and Meredith was in labor, and you know, you're hooked up to all the machines and stuff. And one of the machines is the, the one that shows the contractions. And it's just this little steady line, and then a contraction comes, and it kind of shoots up. And then as a contraction goes away, it goes back down in the steady line. Well, she grabs my hand, and she gives me this look, and she kind of groans. And I was like, what's wrong? And she's like, I'm having a contraction. And I looked at the machine, and the line was still straight. I was like, no, you're not. And and then all of a sudden, the machine kind of jumped up. And I was like, oh, now you are. And I looked at her, and I, st- I can see their look right now. She didn't say it, but she said it, if you know what I mean, like with her eyes, don't you ever say another word to me again as long as you live. You know, that's what I felt like she was saying. And I've learned. I don't understand the whole pregnancy thing. Women, I, y'all, y'all are amazing. I'm glad y'all have them and not us because there would be no children in this world if it was up to guys to do it. But this is the thing. So it wasn't a punishment though. It wasn't, it wasn't an angel saying, listen, you're not going to be able to speak because you're going to be annoying to your wife. I think it was a reminder. Every time for nine months that, that Zechariah wanted to say something and he wasn't able to speak. He was going to remember. God was faithful. God answered my prayer. And every time he tried to speak which was probably a lot for nine months, he got to remember that. That was a reminder for him. But we can be like that too, can't we? Sometimes when, when we hear from God, when we've been praying and praying and praying, and we kind of think we hear something, we're like,, eh, I don't know. Are you sure? Are you sure that's what you're really saying? I'm not sure if that's what you're saying. But we've got to go back to verse 14. It says, you will have great joy and gladness. That's God's desire for us, to give us great joy and gladness in his answer, in his time. That was a key key part of that verse. My words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. You ever notice God's never in a hurry? God is never in a hurry. We try to push him and push him and push him. But why is that? Because he is in total control. When you're in control of stuff, you're, you're not in a hurry. You're not anxious. You're just, kind of just going just with the flow, and you're good. And God is like that because he sees the big picture. He sees the things that are important to us. When we think we're going to have something that gives us great joy, he's like, no, I'm going to bless you in a different way. Sometimes. Sometimes he gives us what we want. Sometimes he says, here, I'm, we'll work it out this way. And it's fun to look back sometimes and say, wow, it was amazing how he He worked that out. I'm going to tell a, a story um, I love to play golf. I love everything about golf. Anybody like golf? Is it just me? Okay, me and Mark. Okay, good. A few people. Thank you. All right. I, I'm, I'm one of those weird people, and David over there, my golf partner. Yeah, sorry. Um, I, I like golf. I even like to watch golf, which is like, um, yeah, boo from Darien. I, like, I'll have golf on sometimes when the youth are coming in on Sunday, and they're like, well, why don't you just watch Cows Eat? It'd be about just as entertaining. And I'm like, no. I mean, golf is amazing. It's a, to me, it's the most difficult sport to play. And so I watch it and just, I'm amazed at what these men and women can do with a golf ball. and it's, it's just incredible. So I love to watch golf. And there's a misconce- misconception about golf that you have to be perfectly quiet when playing golf. And everything has to be silent in order to play golf. And that's not true. It really just needs to be consistent. Really. I mean, if there's noise, it's fine. If there's quiet, it's fine. But you don't want somebody yelling or or anything like that when you're about to hit a golf ball, because it might make you flinch. And I'm not comparing what golfers do by any means to what surgeons do, but think about it in that term. If a surgeon's about to make a cut, he wouldn't want the surgical assistant to come up behind him and be like, "boo," you know, and just scare him. That would be weird and and probably make a mess. And And that's what happens with golf. You want it to be consistent, either quiet or loud or whatever, but just consistent. And so that's the thing. And another thing about golf, it is really, really, really difficult to be a really good professional golfer. There are you know, people we all know, Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy and people like that. And they play on this thing called the PGA Tour, which is way up here. It's the best of the best. And then there's a European Tour, which may be a little bit below it. And then there's all these little sub-tours underneath it, right? And one of these sub-tours is the Latin America Tour. And, and a few weeks ago, it was about three or four weeks ago, there was a tournament going on, the Argentine Open. And there's a guy named Ricardo Celia and a guy named Brandon Matthews that had made it into the playoffs. So they play 72 holes of this big group of people, like 50, 60, 70 people, and these two guys came down to the end. It was just them in the playoff. They had played two holes, and they tied the first two playoff holes. On the third playoff hole, Ricardo Celia made a long putt, and now it made uh, Brandon Matthews have to make his eight-foot putt. An eight-foot putt from here to this little soundboard. Pros make that about 70% of the time, and so it was a very, like, uh, very likely chance he was going to make this putt. Right? So he's standing over it, and, and here's the thing, too. This is There's some money on the line. There's about $30,000 or more on the line for this putt. If he makes the putts, so that's big money. But also, if he, if he makes it and wins the tournament, he gets to play in a thing called the British Open, which is one of the bigger tournaments in the world. So he has this eight-foot putt right here for to, a life-changing putt. Everything he's worked for. He stands over the putt, he takes the putter back, and as he's going through, somebody yells in his backswing. It causes him to flinch, and he misses the putt. I don't know if the picture's up there. And that's his reaction. The guy from the you see how bad, pros don't miss an eight-foot putt that bad, and he's looking, and he's like, what what did you do? How on earth did you just ruin my moment? You just stole my joy. Unbelievable thing. So he's just devastated. People are running on the green celebrating with the other guy that just won, spraying champagne, and he's walking off with his caddy and just angry as he can be, and he goes, and he's heading to the locker room, and a tournament official comes up to him, and he says, hey, I'm I'm really sorry, really, really sorry that happened, but i got to tell you what happened the guy that yelled, has Down syndrome. And he was a big fan of yours, and he, just the emotion kind of overtook him. Immediately, Brandon Matthews, everything changed. His, his mom grew up working in, or running group homes and worked with a lot of Down syndrome people. And so he had a special place in his heart for those people. And so he was like, take me. To, is the guy still here? I want to go talk to him. I want him to know it's not his fault. You know? And so immediately he goes to him, and the next picture is them. And so Brandon Matthews signs a glove and signs a ball for him, gives him a big hug. And it was just this big, incredible moment. This guy, Brandon Matthews, had everything riding on an eight-foot putt in his mind. And he missed it because somebody yelled. And then that happens. That's not normal. That's not normal. But this is the thing. I feel like we can get joy in our lives out of the most unexpected places. Because that's what God does. And I'm not saying God made this guy yell to make him miss the putter or anything like that. But there are times in our lives where we think we're not getting what we want. And God has a different plan for you. After the tournament, Brandon Matthews said, you know, I came here to win a golf tournament, and I left making a friend. That's a lot more important. And, and that's, that's a, an incredible outlook to have. It's unbelievable. But if we miss that, if we try to rush God, and we try to make God work into our plan, then things aren't going to work out like we want to, Right. God has a plan and a purpose for our life. There's a great author, a guy named Bob Goff. Y'all may have heard of him. He's an awesome author. And he had a tweet yesterday that I thought was pretty good. He said, the canvas doesn't tell the artist what to paint. God doesn't need our help being in control of everything. The canvas doesn't tell the artist what to paint. God doesn't need our help being in control of everything. But so many times in our waiting and our waiting and our waiting, We try to tell God, if you can just do this, if you can just do this, if you can just do this, and sometimes we just need to lay back and let God do his thing. We need to continue to pray, but let God answer in his time. Zechariah and Elizabeth never thought they were going to have a baby, but they kept praying and and just left it in God's hand, and God blessed them with that in his time. And then we know John the Baptist went and he prepared the way for Jesus because they were faithful. So I don't know what it is. If there's things in your life that you're kind of just holding on, you're, you're like maybe giving up on God. And you're not you think maybe the weight's not worth it. Don't do that. Keep digging in and keep praying and trusting God that He's going to bring the joy and the great gladness that comes with that and only in His timing. All right.